Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Mamacrats.com podcast. This is Glenna Campbell. I'll be your host today, um, and we'll be talking with a couple of our other Mamacrats contributors about the news of the week, some of the hot topics on the blog, and some of the offline discussions that have been going on behind the scenes at Mamacrats. For those of you who aren't familiar with Mamacrats, we're a collaborative blog of noted mom bloggers who write about progressive politics from the mom's point of view. We have 22 writers from all over the country who contribute on a regular basis to our blog. So you can read our blog every day at www.mamacrats.com. And we just started doing this podcast about a month ago. We try to do it every other week and feature different Mamacrats contributors and different issues. And so today we're going to be talking to a couple of our Mamacrats contributors, Stephanie of Lawyer Mama, who's also a contributor to the DC Moms blog, and Jaylith, who has a personal blog called State of Discontent. Um, And I was hoping that Sarah would be able to call in, but I don't think she's going to be able to. So I want to just get started by (coughs) talking about something that Sarah and I did a couple of weeks ago, and that was we had an opportunity to meet Governor Kathleen Sebelius of Kansas. Um, Let's see, I think it was um, a week ago Friday, Sarah and I, who both live in the the Bay Area of San Francisco, were invited to attend an Obama fundraiser that featured uh, Governor Sebelius as a, a speaker. So we went up to this beautiful house in San Francisco that had a terrific view and um, were able to mingle with a couple hundred loyal Obama fans and um, get to hear a talk by Governor Sebelius. So when we arrived there, um, we were met with um, uh, some, we were among the first people to arrive, and we were standing in the doorway, and Governor Sebelius arrived and walked right over to us and stuck out her hand and said, Hi, I'm Kathleen Sebelius. Nice to meet you. And I was a little bit taken aback, but uh, Sarah managed to muster the words to tell her that she was also from Kansas, which I'm sure was kind of reassuring to the governor to walk in and the first friendly face that you meet is someone from your home state. So um, we had a chance to talk with her a little bit. The reason that we were all interested in in meeting her was that she's been on the short list for Obama's uh, vice presidential nominee. No one knows who that's going to be, but her name has definitely been floated to the top as a as a contender for that position. So we were there to hear what she had to say, to meet her in person, and um, we had the opportunity to have a, a photo taken with her. And uh, at that point, Sarah also was able to ask her about um, you know the, the possibility of her becoming the vice presidential nominee and what we could do as Momocrats to help her out. And uh, she just was seemed to sort of laugh it off a little bit and said, well, you know, this is all just beginning. It's all very new. The the vetting committee has just um, has just been seated, and so nobody knows anything. And um, later on when she gave her remarks, she, when someone in the crowd asked her the same question about the potential for her to be vice president, 
she said, well, no one's picking out any drapes. So, you know, it's really an unsettled question. But, you know, from meeting her just briefly there at this event, um, I would have to say that I would be 100% behind having her as the vice presidential nominee. She's very poised. She's very um, she's very warm and uh, very generous with her time and um, seemed to be very much on top of all of the issues. And if you're not familiar with Governor Sebelius, um, she's actually the daughter of a governor. Her father was John Gilligan, who was governor of Ohio, which is my home state uh, where I grew up, and he was he was the governor when I was growing up there. So I was interested to meet her for that reason as well. Um, so she comes from a, a, a political legacy of uh, democratic politics. And so um, she said one of the parts of her remarks that struck me was that she said that her father first ran for office when she was five years old. So she had no idea that other families just didn't go around and knock on doors and put up yard signs in people's yards and, and do that sort of thing. And she didn't realize that she had a choice. Um, but I think she said that sort of tongue-in-cheek. But it, it, it's something I think politics comes very naturally to her growing up in a political family. So um, I was impressed with her, both as her, her story and all, her grasp of the issues and also some of the things that I learned that she has done as governor of Kansas. Um, she's a very strong environmentalist. Um, and recently, I guess it was reported in the news and has been all over that, um, there had been a, a movement to put new coal plants um, in in Kansas, and uh, she is a, a Democratic governor in a, in a traditionally red state, and she has a two-thirds majority of Republicans in Kansas. Um, they passed a bill to allow these coal plants to be built, and she vetoed it. And she took a very strong stance against allowing any new coal plants to be built there, um, and I think that you know she's really on the right track, and she's also been a part of a coalition of, of mid-state governors who are looking at environmental issues. And one of the things she said in her remarks um, about this environmental movement among the governors is that they're getting absolutely no uh, guidance from Washington. The EPA has basically been told, don't pass any new regulations, don't enforce the regulations, um, until George Bush is out of office. And her her thought was, well, then why are we paying their salaries if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing? So I, I was very impressed with that attitude. But she said that the governors are actually taking up the slack, and the governors have formed coalitions, regional coalitions, to look at these environmental issues and what can be done on a state level to protect the environment and to uh, to look at the issue of global warming on the state level. So I, I was sort of heartened by that, to hear that coming from her um, in her remarks. Um, and as I said, she was there to support Obama. And one of the interesting things that she said about her support of Obama um, was how she came to, to be a supporter. And that is that she's a mom, like we are. Of, uh, she's a mom of two sons who are in their 20s. And she said that she really hadn't thought about who she was going to support a year, a year and a half ago. And her older son, who's very meticulous about researching uh, candidates, and uh, he had sort of gotten involved in the Obama campaign and started sending her things and saying, look at this, you know, look at what this guy is proposing. I think he's the real deal. You really need to get behind him. And so it was actually her son who convinced her that Obama was the candidate that she should throw her support behind. And I thought that was a really um, interesting thing because I think it really illustrates how the youth 
are kind of taking on the uh, this new role in the campaign and are galvanizing their parents to go out and support a candidate that maybe they would or maybe they wouldn't have supported. So I thought that those kind of details that she gave in her talk uh, really let us know a little bit more about who she is and where she comes from and also why she supports Barack Obama. And it's not just because her son told her to, obviously, but it's um, it's really about um, her beliefs aligning with his and that his platform was uh, something that she could get behind as a Democrat, as a mother, um, and as a one of our Democratic leaders. So it was very exciting to meet Governor Sebelius, and I would be thrilled if she were the nominee. I'm sure there are lots of other great candidates out there, but having just met her just briefly, I think it would be really awesome for her to be the, nom- the vice presidential nominee. Uh, whether or not that's going to happen is probably going to be based on a number of different um, different factors. So we'll open up the discussion a little bit here, and I'll stop blathering a bit. And let's see if we can get Jaylith on the line. Hi, Jaylith. Hi, I'm here. Hi, great. Um, Jaylith is one of our MamaCraft contributors, as I said, and she also writes a blog called State of Discontent, which is at jaylithj.blogspot.com. Welcome, Jaylith. Thanks for having me today. Great. Um, I was just talking about uh, the meeting that Sarah and I had with Governor Kathleen Sebelius, and uh, I um, I know that you've been interested in Governor Sebelius' um, in her role as Governor of Kansas for a while, and that you had uh, at one point tried to contact her or tried to interview her. What happened with that? Well, I have contacted her office. I haven't received confirmation that uh, that, uh, that we have an interview yet, but as soon as we do, you know, <laughs> we'll be putting it up on MamaCraft, so... Hopefully we'll be able to hear one soon. Now you're you're a Midwesterner as well. You you're from St. Louis, right? That's correct. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I've lived here all my life, and I have family members who live in Kansas. So I'm very familiar with Kansas and the issues, uh, you know, facing Midwestern families, especially in the rural areas. Even though I live in a very urban environment in St. Louis City. Um, you know, when you're in the Midwest, you're really only 50 miles from a cow farm in any direction. So, yeah. <laughs> so you oh, know, I we do. I know. <laughs> yeah, and we we do hear um, in Missouri, we do hear a lot about what goes on in the neighboring states. And so, I I know that Governor Sebelius is very well respected in her state. Even her opponents seem to respect her tenacity and her ability to get things done. You know, despite the fact that she's in an environment where, um, you know, she's really surrounded by very hardline conservatives. And so it's it's interesting to see how, um, you know, people really seem to support her because they like her personality, even if they don't necessarily agree with her views. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be just very, um, very well respected by people both in Kansas and Missouri, so... That's great. Yeah, she mentioned that um, I guess her lieutenant governor uh, was a former Republican who changed parties to run with her, which I thought was really interesting. Were you familiar with that race? I wasn't familiar with that race when it was going on, but I have read up on it more recently, and I do think that's very interesting. I think it's I think it's sort of symbolic of how she is willing to work 
across the aisle and work with people from different backgrounds. And, you know, I think, I think uh, for her it's more about her ideals and getting the job done than it is about party loyalty. And I think that's important, you know, especially as divided as the country has been um, over the past seven years under the current administration, I think I think it's really important, you know, for people to stick to their guns and stick to their own ideals, but be willing to work with people, you know, with a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I, and I think that, you know, one of the things she said during her remarks at this, this uh, fundraiser that we went to was um, that there's a lot of dissatisfaction among the Republicans with their own party. And I think that's why uh, some of the people who were more on the moderate side um, were willing to sort of uh, to work with her and to try to form some coalitions to get things done because they've really been uh, disaffected by George Bush and by the extreme right wing of the party. And um, so I think that um, she's really on to something as far as kind of working with people who have similar goals but maybe just a different idea about how to get there. Um, so I was I was very very impressed with her as I said um uh, just on that and just in her thinking you know thinking these things through and and being able to reach across the aisle and to to bring people in um to work on these very important issues not only for the Midwest but for the country. Yes, I agree. And you know one interesting thing about the Midwestern states is that you know in, in many ways people imagine that the Midwestern states are the Bible belt and that uh we're, you know, majority conservative here. But really, I think that uh, most people in the Midwest are independents. You know, I mean, they may they may have an affiliation with a particular party, either a, genera- a generational affiliation or an affiliation because their church encourages an affiliation or, you know, or their union encourages a certain affiliation. But but living here, I've, I've for a lifetime, you know, most of the people I've encountered in the Midwest really have sort of an independent spirit and they're willing to cross party lines. And I think, you know, it's interesting to see how amazing the turnout was uh, during the Kansas caucuses and how overwhelmingly the state went for Obama. Um, you know, I think I think there are a lot of sort of disaffected Democrats, too, <laughs> Out in the Midwest, certainly Republicans, I think many Republicans are very fed up with the way their party has has really sort of abandoned, um, especially the way the party has abandoned fiscal responsibility and, you know, become so out of the mainstream um, point of view. And But I also think there are many Democrats who really have sort of felt like their vote doesn't matter but seeing that, uh, you know, seeing inspiring figures like Barack Obama and like Kathleen Sebelius, who has this ability, she has this ability to, you know, bring both sides together for a common goal and make improvements and and fight through gridlock. And I think that that's what people want to see. They really want to see their government working again. Right. I totally agree. And let's hope that translates to uh, to Washington soon. Yes. So one of the features that we've had on Momocrats for a few weeks now is this uh, something we're calling the Pursuit of Happiness Cocktail Hour. And uh, last week you created a drink in, in 
in Governor Sebelius's honor called the Kathleen Sebelius. So what exactly is in the Kathleen Sebelius, and what inspired you to, to create it? Okay, the Kathleen Sebelius. Well, I started out with a shot of corn liquor on the rocks, and I think that scared some people who <laughs> haven't tried corn liquor. Uh-huh. But uh, really, bourbon is just aged corn liquor, so corn liquor isn't that isn't that uh, exotic, despite its reputation sort of as moonshine. But I was looking for a strong Midwestern drink that, you know, really showed the the strong roots that people have here and, and their groundedness. And, and then on top of that, on top of a shot of, corn liquor on the rocks, you float um, just a fine layer of blue curacao liqueur, <laughs> which is a blue-orange flavored liqueur. And I thought, you know, here is this smart, sophisticated, liberal woman, and she's at the top of a very, very uh, red agricultural state. <laughs> and so really it was visual symbolism. But I'm pretty sure the drink would taste all right, too. <laughs> so you didn't actually mix one up and try it? I haven't yet because I couldn't get a hold of, a hold of the corn liquor. Oh, but um, I did try it with bourbon, and it works with bourbon. So if you want to substitute the bourbon, I think okay. I think it would be good. But, uh, but, yeah, I just, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, we're having fun with this series, and... <laughs> Yeah, trying to make drinks that sort of have a theme that that matches the candidates. So right, right. So uh, so we're going to open it up, I guess, in the in the next um, few weeks to other Mamacrats coming up with other drinks, and certainly our readers and our listeners can suggest things if they'd like to. So you know, you can go to mamacrats.com and type in a comment and put your suggestion for a, a pursuit of happiness cocktail up there. Um, so Jaylith, uh, just to change the subject a little bit. Um, you're one of our newer Mamacrats, and um, I believe that you know that the original eight were people who were supporting Edwards. And when you came on board, you had been an Obama supporter for some time. Is that right? That's correct, yes. And so how did you make the decision to support Obama in the primary? I mean, obviously earlier on than, than some of the rest of us. Um, what was it for you that, um, that sort of tipped the balance in his favor um, in making your decision to support someone in the primaries? Well, you know, deciding whom to support it was really tough for me. I actually was a huge fan of John Edwards back in 2004, mm-hmm. and he was my early favorite in that race, and I was happy to see him get the VP spot, but I really wanted him on the top of the ticket. So I certainly understand why the original Mamacrats were backing Edwards because, you know, he had a lot of great, great policy ideas for fighting poverty and fixing the healthcare system. And I, I think Edwards is a great guy. But there were also Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama to choose from. And I also thought they were excellent candidates. And it was actually very difficult for me to choose not to support the first very viable female candidate for president. That was a, that was a very tough emotional decision for me to make just because I was raised as a feminist and, and I'm a woman <laughs> and a mother. And, you know, I know how just what an, what an astonishing achievement it would be, you know. And, and I do think that Hillary Clinton has, you know, really already achieved an astonishing goal by, by coming as far as she did in the race. But when I looked at the policy uh, plans of each candidate, 
I really was attracted to Barack Obama's foreign policy. I really appreciate his stance on diplomacy. I think he has the right idea that we should talk to everyone. And, you know, he often quotes John F. Kennedy and says, we should never negotiate out of fear, but we should never fear to negotiate. I, I believe that's true. I believe strong countries, you know, should not fear to speak their mind. And it, it's interesting because, you know, I think people assume that, that most women are, cons- are primarily concerned with domestic issues. And I am very, very concerned about health care, and I'm very concerned about the economy and the environment, the local environment, as well as the global environment, and education, all of those issues are very, very important to me. But foreign policy is also extremely important. And, so, and you know, I, I am very disappointed in the way our, we've sort of lost the esteem of our allies over the past seven years. And, and I, it's really important to me that the next president make an effort to turn our image around in the world and not just not just the image, but to actually, you know, take action to reverse some of the damage that has been done to our global reputation over the over the past uh, seven years. And then another thing too is that I read uh, Barack Obama's book, not actually Audacity of Hope, mm-hmm. but I read Dreams from My Father very early on in the race, just because I was curious about it. And I I just felt that he had such a such a compelling life story. And I really appreciated his perspective as a, as a mixed-race man and as someone who's lived in other countries. And I, I just think he'll bring a really fresh perspective to the White House, and I appreciate that. Great. Thanks. Okay, I think we're also going to um, bring Stephanie into the conversation. Um, Stephanie, are you there? I'm here. Great. Hi, Glenna. Hi, Stephanie. Stephanie blogs as Lawyer Mama at LawyerMama.com, and she's also one of the original recipe mamacrats. She was one of the original mamacrats who founded the blog in support of Edwards. So, Stephanie, I wanted to ask you sort of a similar question to what I just asked Jaylith. Now, after Edwards dropped out and we were all very upset about that, um, you decided to, to vote for Obama also. So can you tell us a little bit about what went into your decision as far as um, you know, your decision to throw your support behind Obama? Well, that was a really hard decision for me, actually. Up until about two days before the primary here in Virginia, I had no idea who I was going to vote for. And I ended up going for Obama, I think, more because of his electability. At the time, I thought that Hillary would be such a polarizing figure that even though I love her politics, I actually liked her health care proposal better than Senator Obama's because, wow, it looked a lot like John Edwards. Imagine that. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, and I would have no problem with, with Hillary Clinton as president. I think she'd do an excellent job, and I would love to see a woman in the top office. But I really thought that the most important thing was getting this country back on track. We've had these years upon years of Republican basically rule in this country, and we need to get back to where we were before. We need to give back some of that goodwill, like Jay Luth was saying. And I thought that Obama would probably be a little more unifying than Hillary Clinton, who in the past has been seen as quite a polarizing figure. So basically, I flipped a coin. <laughs> but No, not really. Actually, the, the one reason I, I 
chose to support Obama at the beginning was because I thought he was more electable than than Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I've become extremely impressed with him. He is a hell of a public speaker. And, you know, pomp and circumstance is important in politics just because it moves people to act. You have to be able to move people to do something that they wouldn't normally do, to put themselves out there to make this country a better place. And I think that he can really do that. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of came from the same place as you, Stephanie. I, um, you know, after Edwards dropped out, I really didn't know who to vote for. Um, I, I sort of liked them both equally, and I saw drawbacks to to both of them as well. And um, ultimately, it was that idea that he impresses on people that he's not going to to make things better. We're going to make things better. Um, and I think that's the only way that, that we can go. And, and I really thought that differed from Hillary's message that, you know, she was going to march into the White House and make everything right, um, you know, which I'm not sure that that was an intended message, but that's what came across to me. And I know that she is a very uh, impressive woman. I, I got to hear her speak, and I was just blown away by her. You know, she's just... Uh, tenacious and uh, she's brilliant and you know I think she would make an excellent president too but in having to make a choice I I chose Obama as well for a lot of the same reasons that both of you are saying so anyway so this week was the historic uh, sort of the historic point in in the nomination that he actually secured enough delegates to um, to become the nominee and on Tuesday night, after the Montana and South Dakota primaries were over and a number of superdelegates uh, threw their support his way, he was declared basically the nominee and gave what I thought was a terrific speech, um, uh, you know, sort of accepting it. And, um, and it was something that, you know, just watching him walk up onto the stage and sort of sink, let the, the moment um, sink in, it brought tears to my eyes, you know, to see this man who um, was raised by a single mother. And, you know, I know that all these biographical details don't mean a lot to some people, but for some reason it just seemed like such a culmination of where he, you know, where he came from and where our country has come from. So I wanted to get sort of your take um, on that speech and sort of what your impressions were, what were, you know, what went through your mind when you were watching it. Um, Jayliss, do you want to say something about that? Sure. I had the good fortune to watch the speech at a watch party here in St. Louis. We have a pretty well-organized group of Obama volunteers here in St. Louis, and um, they had put together a watch party to watch the speech because, you know, in anticipation of the fact that he would clinch the nomination that evening. And it was really amazing to be surrounded by all these people who really just seemed to be in awe of the moment. You know, I knew a few people there because I've done some volunteer work for the campaign, but most of the people there were strangers to me. And it was just really the the sense of being on the cusp of history. It was, it was just very, um, you could feel it in the room that everyone was was recognizing what a momentous occasion it was. And, you know, there was a lot of respect for Hillary Clinton in that room, too. I mean, I think that, you know, she gave her speech first, and at least at the beginning of her speech, people were very uh, receptive to her, despite the fact that they were all, almost everyone in the room was a very, very strong Obama supporter, and many of them were volunteers who have been out on the streets for weeks registering voters and 
you know, handing out yard signs and things of that nature. And but but I just felt like it was a very uh, it was a very wonderful atmosphere to be sort of witnessing this historic moment in. And, and there were a lot of children there. I noticed people had brought their kids uh, because they wanted them to see it. You know, I guess it was as close as we could get to actually being you know, there, <laughs> where he gave the speech. But um, but I just, you know, I thought his speech was really gracious. I loved that he devoted almost a third of his speech. I mean, it seemed like that to me. Maybe I haven't timed it, but, but he devoted a, a substantial part of his speech to praising and thanking his opponent, Hillary Clinton, which I thought was very gracious of him. And, you know, and acknowledging the, her contribution to history in this race as well. And, you know, he's the father of two young daughters, and, and I appreciate that he says, you know, this woman is a, is a role model for my children. Um, but then I also thought it was just, it was a very compelling speech because, again, you know, he touched on themes he often touches on in his speeches where, where he talks about, you know, the need to bring the country together and, and face the challenges instead of just arguing about how we're going to solve the challenges we face with the environment and national security and the economy coming together and just starting to work. I, you know, I, I think his, that's why his message is so inspirational to people. You know, I mean, yes, we can. Sounds kind of trite after so many months. Uh-huh. But it's still, I, I think, you know, it's something people have been really sort of aching to hear, this idea that we can solve the problems ahead and and I I just I don't know I mean he didn't it seemed a humble speech for someone who was you know who had achieved so much against really long odds <laughs> you know given his his background his name which many people have ridiculed and and tried to use against him and you know given given that he's a young man and you know, he actually has a lot more legislative experience than people tend to give him credit for, given he was in the Illinois State Senate for many, many years before he was in uh, the U.S. Senate. But but still, you know, he is, he is sort of a newcomer on the national scene in many ways, and, and it is really amazing that he's come so far. But he seems just so content and, you know, in the situation that he's in. It's, it's very nice to see someone relaxed in that sort of a... A moment. I don't know. Yeah, um, Stephanie, what, what were your thoughts? Well, one thing. Well, obviously, it was a very moving speech, and and I, I I'm really jealous of Jayla's opportunity to watch this with other people because I was so moved, and I was watching it by myself, and I really just wanted to be able to turn to other people and and see what they were feeling, and I, I can't even imagine what it was like to actually be in that hall when he was giving the speech because you could sort of feel the energy just coming off the laptop screen. I was watching it on a small uh-huh. laptop screen, not even a big screen TV. Right. So that would have been amazing. But one thing that really impressed me about his speech is it, he sort of brings generations together. Um, I like sort of his emphasis on that. And in his speech at, at one point, and I don't remember exactly where it was, he talked about the greatest generation and what they've done for us. And he talked about, you know, women shattering glass ceilings, and, you know, all of the different generations that have come before us that have led to this moment, which is our time. And I, I think that was such a strong message because it really speaks to, of course, change. But it also is very appealing to younger voters. And, I, you know, by younger, I don't just mean the 20-something, 30-somethings. I mean anyone who 
hasn't been actively, you know, everyone who's been disillusioned by politics in the last, what, eight years, you know, and, and, and that's really important. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are registering to vote, and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're going to take back the White House. Mm-hmm. I agree. So on Saturday, we got to see um, Hillary Clinton speak, um, and it wasn't exactly a concession, uh, but it was more of an endorsement type of a speech. Um, and, you know, it was it was something that I think people on Tuesday night were thinking she was going to do, and then she didn't. Uh, but I think she needed a little time, and I think, um, you know, she owed that to her, her supporters. Um, I watched her speech, and I thought it was fantastic. I actually thought it was the best speech that she's given during the campaign or the best speech I've, I've seen her give. Um, I, I really felt uh, that, um, you know, despite some of my misgivings about her candidacy or some of the feathers that she ruffled, at least mine, <laughs> that, um, that you know, she sort of brought it all around. And, and I really felt a debt of gratitude for her for bringing sexism out onto the, to the, uh, into the national discourse again. Because I think it's something that we haven't really talked about um, out in public, uh, in the news, for a very long time. You know, it's sort of like the women's movement happened, and it's over, and now women have equality. And that's not really true. And we know that as women, uh, but it's not something I, th- I think is really recognized. Um, so, you know, even if she didn't get to uh, all the way to the White House, I think she did enough to, to bring that issue out onto the table and to show um, all of our daughters and our sons that, you know, a woman has this enormous potential to do anything she wants. And I really felt that, you know, her bringing that out in the speech was was a, a really defining moment in a way. And also, one of the things that she said that impressed me was talking about health care. And in a, in a way, it was reminiscent of when John Edwards um, suspended his um, his campaign, and he said that poverty was the cause of his life. And I really believed that when she said that, that health care and, and making sure that every American has uh, adequate health care is the cause of her life. And, I mean, she's worked on it for however many years, 30 years or whatever, as, a, as, a, um, as an individual, as a public official, as a public figure. And um, I think she's going to continue to work on it in some, some capacity and make a huge difference in the lives of Americans in that way. So I wanted to kind of also throw it out there to you guys as to, you know, what did you think about Hillary's speech and what things impressed you um, when you were listening to it? Well, okay, this is Stephanie here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the one thing I really loved about her speech, of course, you know, we all as women I think kind of honed in on the sexism part, but I loved her imagery about 18 million cracks in the glass ceiling. And that is something I'll just think about over and over again whenever I run up against something like that, you know, the sexism that doesn't really exist but we know really does. And that that just really impressed me. Another thing that really impressed me is how much more relaxed she is now compared to the beginning of her campaign. Uh-huh. I almost wish she'd been this Hillary for the entire campaign. You know, maybe maybe there would have been more of a chance to have a, you know, uh, the first woman in the White House. Uh-huh. But. You know, I agree about about the tone of her speech being something I wish I'd seen more of earlier. Um, because I think, you know, when I was, especially the way she was addressing the sexism, and I think, you know, it's it's obvious to most women who've been paying any attention that there's been rampant media sexism. And I say that as a as an ardent Obama supporter, I felt 
that the media really did not give Hillary a fair shake. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes when she's talked about it before, she's done it in a way that sort of sounded whiny to people. And I hate to say that because I don't want to play into that stereotype. But, you know, I think the, the tone that she struck in this speech was just so inspiring. You know, she really sounded like a pioneer who was fighting to overcome. She recognized the barriers and she was willing to talk about them and, and take them head on. And I, I wish that I had heard a little bit more of that because I thought, I thought she struck a really great tone in this speech and I thought, you know, I was really happy. I love that quote too about the glass ceiling and the 18 million cracks in the glass ceiling. I mean, if, you know, right now I only have a son, but if I ever have a daughter, that quote is going on her wall. Maybe I should put it on my son. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm the mother of a son also, and I think that you have two boys, right? And I, I think yes. it's important for our sons to understand that too. Um, exactly. And and what I hear from from my son from you know from the playground basically is um, you know he doesn't really think that there's any difference between boys and girls. And my son was an ardent Hillary supporter. He told me from the very beginning that he wanted Hillary Clinton to be the president. And when I asked him why, he went and got this placemat that we have that has all the pictures of all the presidents. I don't know if you've seen this. It's like all of the 43 presidents lined up in a row. And, yes. and uh, we have this placemat. And he came over to me and he said, you see this, Mom? Do you see any girls on this page? <laughs> and I said, no. And he goes, well, it's a girl's turn. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's thought, great. Yeah, I thought, Okay, <laughs> and so he was just adamant that he wanted to support Hillary's campaign because he thought it was a girl's turn, and you know a lot of women felt that way too. And I mean, maybe it's that's the way his seven-year-old mind works. But in some ways, I felt that way too. That you know, hey, the guys have had a lot of time to mess things up. Let's see what a woman could do. You know, women have been leaders all over the world, and you know maybe it was her turn. But uh, I I still don't think that um, you know that that her campaign was was lost exactly i think it was i think that she's she's put so much out there and that she's she's really presented um you know that option to so many more women and and the next and as she said in her speech the next time a woman runs for for president it will be unremarkable and Mm -hmm. uh, i think that that's that's absolutely true yes and that is remarkable as she said yeah 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 so anyway um you know that kind of brings up the question of um, there seem to be there are you know the the media has really played up this notion that there are these these sort of um, camps out there of people who have said, well, if my candidate doesn't get it, I'm voting for McCain or I'm staying home, and that there are some ardent Hillary supporters who feel that way or who may feel that um, because she didn't get the nomination um, that she you know that they're they're going to vote for McCain. So. What what would you say as far as what do you think we should do to try to um, you know bring the party together and to bring those people back into the uh, you know under the tent and and make them feel as though their um, their concerns have been heard and they um, have a voice in in, in the party going forward. Um, Stephanie, do you have any ideas? Yeah, actually, I think some of it is just going to take time, but and I don't think there's any instant fix for something like this, but Hillary Clinton was and is very important to the Democratic Party. I mean, she is one of the most powerful women in in politics. And um, 
you know, uh, Senator Obama needs to use her. And I'm sure that she will campaign for him as well. But more than that, I think she really needs to be involved. I mean, whether or not she becomes a vice presidential candidate is, is something else entirely and a whole other can of worms. But I think that she needs to be actively involved in whatever sort of future administration there is. Um, whether it's working on health care policy or where I would love to see her on the Supreme Court. And I think that people need to know that she will be involved no matter what happens. And I think I think he's made it pretty clear that she will have some sort of a role, um, at least in, in his recent speeches. But uh, I, I think that will really go far into, you know, making Hillary supporters understand that her contributions are not being diminished and she's not going to be ignored and then we're just going to turn the page and all become a happy family. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, they need to be sort of taken into the fold. And that's one thing I hate about our primary system is it, it really it takes our party and it divides us so much, you know, especially when you've got such great candidates like we did this year. That's a shame. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's excellent that you know we get to hear from everyone and sort of get to know everyone over a long period of time. But I wish they could find a way to do it in a way that was more issue issues focused and less um, media circus. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, this whole personal at- attack politics. I, I maybe really we can have a Mark Penn screening mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think um, that a lot of these people, you know, I was listening to an NPR podcast from uh, Talk of the Nation, and I heard some people calling in, some Hillary supporters calling in and saying, absolutely, I'm going to vote for McCain, either because they were angry or because they were um, thinking that Barack Obama doesn't have enough experience and that John McCain has a lot of experience and experience is what we need because the world is a scary place. But uh, I'm thinking it isn't a very good yes, thing to have, yes, exactly. <laughs> the type of experience does matter. <laughs> but yes. but I was going to say, I, I think a lot of these people who are threatening to vote for McCain don't know a lot about John McCain. Yeah. I mean, really, I think that uh, aside from it being incumbent upon Senator Obama as the nominee to do whatever he can to bring Hillary supporters his camp and to address the issues that they think are important that he that they feel like he hasn't addressed adequately mm-hmm. and to you know to really as Steph was saying include Hillary Clinton herself in some way in his administration or in his policy plans mm-hmm. in the future. Um, I think it's also important for all of us individual liberals who care deeply about this election and know how important it is to get a Democrat in the White House this time. I think that it's something we can all do is to really get the word out on just how similar McCain's policy plans are to what George Bush has been perpetrating on the country for the past seven years. it seems like a lot of the Momocrats have been really involved in their state um, conventions and state politics. And um, just this week, Julie, um, one of our Momocrats, Julie, has been at the Texas Democratic Caucuses. And I believe Julie's on the line. Julie, are you there? I am. Can okay. you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. 
I'm 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 sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm on or <laughs> if I did it right. But hi, how is everyone doing? Great. How are you? I am exhausted. This has been an intense couple of days, I have to say. Very intense. Yeah. But incredible. They had almost 15,000 people there and uh, quite a few elected officials and just everybody, workhorses, people were just plugged in working all weekend long. So wow. it's been it's been amazing. And, and, and a lot of the work was getting everybody unified. I think if I heard the word unify, you know when you hear something so many times it stops having meaning? Mm-hmm. You just say a word over and over and over. They just kept saying the word unify over and over and over. And I think that after a while people just um I, I think they got a little bit a little bit worn down on that message actually because it was almost an unconstructive, you know, direction. You know. And after a while when I walked around and I listened to people in small groups, they were like, You know what? We are. We accepted before we even got to the convention that this was gonna be the Obama nomination party. Mm-hmm. But what we wanna know is how are we going to get behind Obama and what is he going to bring to us? But more than that, specifically, what is he going to do for Texas? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest problems I heard here in Texas is people saying, I don't know what to do. I don't want to vote for McCain, but I don't think I can vote for Obama. And the reason is because they're already feeling abandoned Mm -hmm. by him in this state. Um, the first thing that happened was he sent the governor of Virginia, Tim Kaine, as his representative. Mm -hmm. And Tim Kaine got up on the stage and speaking on behalf of the Obama campaign said, Barack really wanted to be here this weekend. It was very important to him. He knows how hard Texas has worked on his behalf. But he and Michelle and the kids really needed to have a quiet weekend at home by themselves. Mm -hmm. Simultaneous with that speech was Obama meeting privately with Hillary Rodham Clinton, um, Obama in Bristow, Obama here, Obama there, Obama everywhere except Texas. So that was a conflicting message. The other thing, too, is, and I know people keep laughing at me with my space industry point, but the space industry really is a national issue. And even Barack Obama's position paper on uh, space exploration and science says it is a national issue, and um, basically his his uh, speeches don't back that position up, and people are really concerned, can he actually come in and do something that will help Texas that's fighting so hard to turn blue, um, and can he come here and campaign, and right when everyone's asking that question and trying to actually unify behind him as the uh, Democratic candidate, out comes the press release from the Obama campaign with the list of red states he's going to visit and Texas didn't make the list. So that, that I think, right there, you know, with the big message of unify, let's get behind our local Democrats, let's vote straight party Democrat ticket, that was definitely the message of the uh, convention, um, you know, right along with that. You know, people just kept saying, we feel so abandoned. <laughs> wow. Well, That really is too bad. 
That, that, that yeah. really is. And I, I guess I'm, I'm speaking from a, a luckier position, I guess, luckier in quotes. Virginia is a very red state as well. I mean, parts of it, northern Virginia, the closer you get to D.C., the bluer it becomes. But overall, Virginia is quite red, even though we tend to elect Democrats occasionally as governor or, you know, a senator here and there. But we seem to, we are one of the apparently chosen red states that's in play because, you know, he's been here and, and, and I know Tim Kaine has been very active in, in his campaign. So uh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I know that a campaign has obviously got to sort of apportion their resources, but, you know, if, if Texas is really going to be in play, you know, during this campaign, then are they going to do anything? I would love to hear that from, you know, the Obama campaign. I, I would we can't too. answer that, but yeah, I I would too, and I know that that was one of the big questions, and one of the action points left at the end of the convention was to get one of our national delegates, who's actually um, apparently fairly well connected to the Obama campaign and actually knows Barack and Michelle personally, try to get her to get in touch with with the campaign and with Obama and say what can we do. I mean, here's where we're at. The Texas uh, State House and Senate are five seats away from being a Democratic majority. Hmm. That's it, five seats. We have well more than five Democrats running. This state has the potential to actually have a balanced government. Rick Perry has already said he's running again, but we have some really strong Democrats um, running right now for the state seats, and we just need five of them to win. And, that, you know, that is something that could be helped so much if the national campaign came down and helped. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe that's something that we can do as bloggers to try to encourage the campaign to to take another look at Texas. I mean, and I don't think any of these things are foregone conclusions. They may have a plan this week that changes next week. You know, I, I know so. it can be very demoralizing if you're sitting there at a, a, a caucus and the week before they've said we're going to ignore Texas essentially. But um, I think if people make enough of an issue of it and how much it's needed there um, and the fact that they could potentially win Texas – then, um, you know, I think that's got to have an impact on the campaign. So I think we should do something, um, you know, some kind of blog meme or something to get to get Obama in Texas. And I, I don't we know, I'm a, just kind of talking <laughs> off the top of my head here. But, but really, I mean, there should be some sort of a movement to get some um, – some sort of uh, FaceTime with Obama and with, uh, you know, high-level campaign people in states that may feel like they're being ignored but are on the cusp of turning. So yeah. that's a really good point, Julie. I'm glad you were there. It, what, what, what capacity were you there at the, at the caucus? Were you a delegate? Were you uh, as a member of press? Or, or how were you represented there? I had I had um, two different representations, I, I suppose you could say. Um, I was at our county convention. Um, I, I was elected as one of the at-large alternates. Mm-hmm. Um, Obama got two. I was I was an Obama delegate, and Obama uh, got two at-large alternates. Um, and and that was although it rendered me you know basically just as a, a backup person, so I didn't have actually a vote that I could cast. Um, it was still an enormous honor because, you know, I've only lived back in Texas for four years. Um, I've just gotten involved in the last year to two years um, actively with the party, and that meant that my um, 
Senate district out of over 350 people believed in me to go there and represent them. And that was that was a huge honor. So, um, you know, I felt very humbled with my responsibility. Um, and then also um, the Texas Democratic Party uh, gave me, um, on the strength of Momocrats, uh, press credentials. And what the press credentials enabled me, it's an all-access pass. I had the ability to be backstage. I had the ability to be back by the VIPs. The press room was just a wonderful resource because we had Wi-Fi. We had desks. They fed us, you know, three meals a day. Um, they brought press conferences into the press room, you know, bringing in elected officials. Um, they, If we had any questions, if there was any information, that we needed, they put us in touch. I had heard a rumor from the floor about something coming out of the Rules Committee, and this was a big, big thing that happened yesterday. Um, there was a resolution, uh, there was a petition that gained enough signatures to become a resolution and presented on the floor during the convention, and it was to eliminate the caucus system from Texas entirely. Wow. And that would completely change how primaries are run in this state. So that was huge. And there were three different initiatives to achieve that. And there was a minority report that came out. Now, several hours before that was introduced on the floor, I'd heard rumors about it from one of the other Senate districts. And um, Hector Nito, who is the Director of Communications for the Texas Democratic Party, I went to him and I said, I've heard this rumor. Um, I want to find out if this is accurate because you're about to have mass chaos on the convention floor. And he took me to the chairwoman of Mary Beth Mal Molly Beth Malcolm of the Rules Committee, and she just flat out answered every single question I had. So having those press credentials was just an enormous access to just every part of the convention. And um, one thing that I that I did, and I'm working on this, and I'll put it up on Momocrats tomorrow so I'll just throw in a teaser here, is I walked around and I talked to women about the sexism issue. There I was in a hall with 15,000 delegates, you know, a good number of whom were women, and I, I just walked around and I said, tell me about where you feel women fit into politics, because the statistic right now is historically women barely contribute less than a third of campaign contributions. In 2008, that is up to almost 50%. And that's an enormous jump. So I walked around and I talked to women, what activated you this year? Have you donated money? Do you feel like you got your money's worth? Did your candidate get the nomination? Even if not, do you still feel like that your time and money was well spent here? And I got some really interesting answers from a broad range of women. So. Great. That's really great. Um, I've noticed, too, that um, several of the other Momocrats have been involved in their state-level um, conventions and caucuses, and I think, Jaylis, you went to the Missouri convention, right? That's correct, I did. I was a pledge delegate for Obama to the Missouri State Convention. I also got elected at, um, well, I got elected at my ward-slash-township meeting. It was probably a bit smaller than... <laughs> the meeting that uh, Julie got elected a delegate at. So I, I, I may have lucked out of it in having not much competition. <laughs> but I was I was very excited and enthusiastic to be a delegate and to see the state convention process from the inside. 
Um, and it's interesting because it sounds to me like the event in Texas is just so much bigger than mm-hmm. here in Missouri. I mean, not bigger in terms of it being a bigger state and having more delegates, but bigger in terms of the types of events that go on there. In Missouri, um, really the primary uh, purpose of the convention is to elect national-level delegates. And there there was some party business that was decided at the Missouri State Convention, but um, really we spent the majority of time as delegates just trying to decide who we were going to send to Denver. Um, and that was interesting in and of itself to see how that process worked and to see... There, I've written about this a bit on Momocrats um, in my descriptions of the, both the Missouri State Convention and my... Uh, Congressional District Convention, how there's this sort of tension right now in Missouri between the old guard party regulars who've really sort of had the Missouri State Party themselves for a long time because, you know, there really hasn't been a lot of enthusiasm. Younger people haven't been getting so involved. I think a lot of people in my age group, I'm in my uh, late 20s, I'm probably the youngest monocrat. I'm, I'm guessing that I am, and I think a lot. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people um, in my age group have been just very frustrated with politics because many of us voted for the first time in a presidential election in 2000, mm-hmm. and that was just a debacle. And then, yeah. you know, and then our next presidential election was 2004, and it can be very, very discouraging to feel like your vote doesn't matter and to feel like the system isn't fair and things aren't being counted. And I think it's even more discouraging to realize that maybe half the country really does have their head in the sand about certain issues. And so, um, so you know, I think, I think the Missouri State Party has been a little overwhelmed by the participation this time around. Mm-hmm. Can, can I ask a question to Jay? Sure. How many people do you think were at the Missouri State Convention is my first question. And the second question is, how mobilized are Missouri Democrats for local elections? Well, there were about, um, I think, somewhere between 800 and 900 delegates that were, I'm talking state-level delegates, that went to the convention, plus alternates. I, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, there were between 800 and 900 on each side because the state was split evenly between, our delegates were split evenly between Obama and Clinton. So there were about eight or 900 Clinton delegates and there were about eight or 900 Obama delegates. And then there were all the alternates who also came and there were um, several states politicians, local politicians, um, you know, Senator Claire McCaskill was there, all of our Democratic Congress people were there. Um, so it was significantly smaller than Texas. You know, there, I, I highly doubt there were 15,000 people there. But, um, <laughs> but we did have, you know, it was, it was a fair-sized group, um, and it did make the voting process very long. And <laughs> Very interesting. Um, if I could interrupt for a second, we're um, we're about one minute away from from the Blog Talk Radio lady cutting in. So I just wanted to, before we go um, off air, 
I just wanted to mention that our next podcast is going to be Sunday, June 22nd. Uh, Joanne Bamberger is going to host a discussion of Arianna Huffington's new book, Right is Wrong. So we want to encourage all of our listeners and all of our readers to read it and, and join us on June 22nd for the next podcast. So in, a, in about 30 seconds, the blog talk radio lady comes in and cuts us off. But we can keep talking, um, but it won't be heard by the people who are listening live. They can listen in the archives. Because I really do want to talk to talk some more about the, um, sort of the Momocrats' participation in these um, various conventions and also our plans for going forward to the Democratic National Convention. But we are going to get cut off in about eight seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, Jayla. Oh no, that's fine. Okay, so anyone who wants to hear my comments, listen to the archives podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. So now we're now we're not streaming anymore. Um, anyway, um, so. Um, Stephanie, you were also involved on your state level with your convention as well, right? Well, ours is actually next Saturday, so um, yeah, that should be interesting. But I have gone to um, both my my local state, con- you know, my local convention, and to my congressional district convention. And um, I haven't been elected as a delegate unless you know by some miracle on Saturday they decide that I'm so important to the state that I must be an at-large delegate. Uh-huh. I'm not <laughs> I'm not expecting that to happen. But it's been really interesting just seeing what happens and sort of meeting the people in my area who are really involved in in local politics. And from what I've heard, uh, there's been a lot more involvement, at least here in Virginia, particularly in my area of Virginia, which is purplish, I guess. I'm in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia in southeast Virginia. We're about three miles south of D.C. There's a very large military presence here. And so along with that comes a lot of red. But then we also have Norfolk, which is a fairly large-sized city, at least for, you know, Virginia, um, with a very large minority population, which, you know, tends to be more on the Democratic side. And then the area of, of Chesapeake, where I live, which is, you know, very close to the rural area, is also very Democratic as well. So it's it's kind of interesting how the, the two sort of work together. I mean, in our local elections, particularly where I live, um, you know, Democrats probably really have a chance this year when they might not have otherwise. So they're really kind of mobilizing for, for local efforts, too. So that's very interesting. I'm really looking forward to Saturday, though, just actually watching the caucus system. Like in Missouri, um, as Jaliff mentioned, I think the primary purpose of our um, convention here is just to elect our delegates for the national convention. And there is some party business that will be, I've seen on the schedule. But um, I'm really looking forward to being able to see. I'm hoping we're going to get some good speakers. Um, I would not be surprised if, if someone important shows up. I haven't heard anything, but I'm, I'm keeping fingers crossed here. So cross your fingers for me. Okay. <laughs> so exactly what capacity are you going in? Uh, are, are you representing? The conventions here and all party business here are open to the public. Oh. So anybody can go in. Um, and I was actually very surprised at that. Uh, all I had to do was, was I was assuming that I was going to have to track somebody down and sign up for press credentials. But all you have to do is sign up and say, I'm going to be there. Um, so it's, it's actually kind of interesting. And I'm also thinking that there are probably not a huge number of people who want to just go and watch the state convention. But um, I think that I'll have a lot more access than I probably would otherwise just because of this. So I've I've got a friend coming with me who is a, a Hillary supporter as well. So we'll see um, how that goes. I think she's going to try and talk to 
some of the Hillary supporters and see how they're feeling for me. <laughs> so, Since I'm regarded as the press. enemy. I, I think you should apply for a press credential, though, because it, it actually does give you a little bit more access than... Oh, yeah, and I'm working on that, too, after Julie mentioned that she just called up and said, you know, hey, Mama Crafts, and they were like, oh, press, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what's really incredible is is actually getting to know some members of the press corps. Um, you can get a lot of information from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were quite a few bloggers there. You guys saw the Texas Caucus um, blogger list. Mm-hmm. And um, a c- couple of those people are going to Denver. And it was good to sit and talk with some of them. You know, what are you thinking to find in Denver? You know, what you know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to stay? You should get, and, and you know, it's just nice to have the press room also because it gives you a space to operate out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, um, I think five of the Momocrats went to the California uh, Democratic Convention, which was back in March, I think. I mean, it's been a while ago, and um, we were invited um because the the person who was in, in charge of the the blogger credentials saw us on All Top, which is Guy Kawasaki's uh, sort of dashboard of all things political, politics uh, mm-hmm. and so he saw our name listed there. He liked what we had to say, and, and he just invited us, and we were sort of surprised by that because. We really hadn't been around for very long when we were invited, but um, five of us went, and it was I thought it was really exciting because we got to go to some of the uh, press conferences and, um, you know, meet people up front and, you know, just uh, Gavin Newsom, I had a picture of him reading our blog. He's the mayor of San Francisco. and I remember well that. Known. And <laughs> in California <laughs> politics, he's considered an up-and-comer, maybe governor someday. And, you know, he was sitting there at the blogger table reading our blog at one point. So, um, so it was very exciting for me. I'd never been to a convention, had no idea what would go on there or how it would run. And, um, you know, the speeches were mainly from sort of the top Democrats in California. Um, and a lot of the work that was done there was doing endorsements for local races, for assembly and senate races, um, and not so much with the um, with the national race. Our our uh, delegates were chosen at a different time, um, you know, locally based on our um, congressional districts. Um, and I went to that as well. But um, the the one big speaker we had was Bill Clinton, and I think Bill Clinton's se- sort of secondary agenda was. To, he had several private meetings with the superdelegates because California has a lot of superdelegates as well, and so he was really leaning on them to, um, you know, throw their endorsement behind Hillary. And um, so that's what we heard when we were waiting and waiting for him to enter the hall. It was because he was in the back rooms with the superdelegates trying to get them to um, to come over to Hillary's side. And uh, but that was pretty exciting to be able to hear him speak and. Uh, and I don't know how many people were there. It was thousands, I'm sure, but it wasn't. I don't think it was 15,000, uh, but there were quite a lot of people there, and it was very, very exciting. So, um, and you mentioned that we are. Uh, you, ta- you, you guys have talked about a little bit about our um, going to Denver, and that's the other big exciting news this week from Democrats is that we have been invited to be credentialed press at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Um, the 
thing that happened that was a little bit disappointing was that we're only getting one credential for all 14 of us who want to go and participate in the events. And so we're going to have to do some logistical planning before we get there to see which events we're going to cover and so forth. But I'm really looking forward to that. And I kind of wanted to know from, from all of you, what, what do you hope to get out of going to the convention? What do you hope to see? Or is there anybody in particular that you hope to meet there or interview or, um, or just want to sort of take in this little moment in history that we're being able to witness? Um, so, Jaylis, do you have any ideas about what you want to do at the convention? Well, certainly the fact that it's such a historic occasion that we will be nominating the first African-American uh, nominee for the Democratic Party for president. That's, that's certainly a huge draw. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to imagine being there for such a historic event. But aside from just, you know, wanting to sort of bask in the atmosphere of, of the event, I think um, it's just to, to report on the process. I would like to, I mean, I don't really consider myself... It's interesting to me how how bloggers are, you know, becoming more and more important as sources of information to the public. And I know a few years ago, I've always been pretty politically active, and I've always been, pretty, you know, interested in in political candidates, and and I've always voted, but uh, I haven't really, until the last couple of years, really gotten into understanding the nitty gritty internal workings of the Democratic Party and how delegates are selected and how the conventions are run. And I think there are a lot of people out there who don't really have an understanding of how that works. And I'd like to go as someone with a fresh perspective who's never attended a national convention before and, you know, just just tell our readers what it's like from the perspective of really sort of an ordinary woman you know, an ordinary citizen who's who's a concerned citizen, but still ordinary. I guess the, I guess the citizen journalism aspect of it is really important to me. Even if I'm just standing outside on the sidewalk interviewing people as I walk in, <laughs> I'd be fine with that. That's you know, I mean, I just think I think it's great that we're going and that we're going to be able to give you know really a, a perspective on this that's unique because we are all mothers and we are all involved in politics in large part because we're concerned about our children's future and to really, you know, put that spin on what we see at the convention and the interactions between the different politicians who will be there. I think that's important. So that's why I want to go. <laughs> Stephanie, do you have any thoughts? Well, I, kind of what I'm thinking more along the lines of what Jaylith was saying. I'm really interested in seeing this from the perspective of someone who is not involved in politics. I'm not part of the political system. And um, I'm really excited to see what happens in committees. And maybe it's not nearly as exciting as I think it is, but uh, it just seems like it's sort of this, you know, mythical thing where people are, are developing this platform and it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that actually works. And I'm sure a lot of it is, is backdoor stuff that we still won't see, but you know we'll be there while those conversations are happening, and you know maybe maybe we will get the chance to make some contacts that will be useful to us in the future as well too. Mm -hmm. Julie, any thoughts? Anything to add? Um, <clears throat> I, I think I guess where I'm coming from is I, I'm a little more involved in the political process itself, and. Um, 
one thing that was really great about being at the convention here in Texas was there's a bunch of disconnected efforts for certain issues. For example, public health and the environment. And by coming together at the convention, all these different disconnected pieces met and said, hey, we need to coalesce, come together, and create an organized effort. And just watching that happen in two days was incredible. So to me, I'd be really interested in jumping into listening to the presentations and discussions at some of the issue caucuses. Um, that was some of the stuff that I just really loved at this convention. Um, went to the Energy Policy Caucus, went to the Single-Payer Universal Health Care Caucus, um, went to the Pro-Choice, Pro-Prevention Caucus. Um, there's just a bunch of different issues, and these are putting together the, like Stephanie said, the committee meetings are actually that interesting. <laughs> they really, they they do go on for a long time, but they really are that interesting, and there really is formation of the direction our country's going to go um, if we win, you know, if the Democrats win. And that's, that's incredible to be a part of the process. Um, and, and I do, I, I, you know, I have embedded myself into a couple of local campaigns. Um, I've agreed to try to throw a fundraiser party for um, the guy running for state senator from our area. But I, I just I, that's what I would like to do, and you know what? I I love the idea, Jayless, of of giving the um, the voice of you know just the average citizen. I also love just walking around and talking to the people who are there. It's just it's incredible because I always read the media stories coming down, and I had just read a story about you know women and political participation and donations. And this story was like, oh, it's never going to be sustained. Women are never going to stick in politics. And you know what? They really they got ripped off. Their money was not well spent. And, and I thought, is that true? And walking around and talking to all the women and finding out what their real woman, actual person opinion was was just so neat. So that's, I, I love that, the man on the street kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's something that um, that we sort of bring to the party um, as the Momocrats. You know, we are sort of the average citizen or citizen journalists or whatever you want to call us, um, and I think we bring that, as Jayla said, that fresh perspective to, to the reporting. Um, you know, I've not been that involved in politics as far as on the um, nitty-gritty sort of level. Um, always been interested, always followed it, always, you know, read a lot and um, – was concerned about issues, but never really gotten as involved as I have been in the last year and really trying to educate myself on the specifics of the issues and going out to see the candidates um, when they came through town. And we're very fortunate in Silicon Valley that, um, you know, we're sort of the money spigot here. And so the candidates are always here. <laughs> you know, I mean, we I could have seen every Democrat, every Republican, if I had the money, you know, uh, at one point or another, they were all here looking for for money and so um you know i was able to go to some of these things but you know unfortunately don't have endless funds to be able to to contribute to these uh, fundraisers or whatever but you know i i was able to kind of get up close and personal with some of of these candidates and really see what they were about early on in the process 
and um, and it's and I I started to blog about it before we started Momocrats. I, every time I went to one of these things, I would I would blog just you know what it's like sitting here in this room waiting for Hillary Clinton to come in, and what um, you know when she made her entrance, what it made me feel like as a woman, as a mom, to see you know um, the sort of familiar scene of the candidate walking in and shaking hands with everybody. I mean, it's something sort of an iconic image that you have of. of candidates from movies and from TV from past history and to look and see that person as a woman in some ways it, it like it really touched me in a way that I wasn't expecting and I wrote about that on my blog and I got a, an enormous response from people who um, you know commented or who um, would talk to me in the grocery store or whatever and say I read that and you know I wish I could have gone to something like that but there's just no way and and I felt like I was doing sort of a service to let people have access to what those things were like and I feel like that's what we're doing as momocrats and going to the convention is just giving our perspective. You know, we may not be the top expert policy wonks on any particular issue, but we have opinions and we're not afraid to use them. So, you know, <laughs> I think we have a really strong position there. And um, I know, I think, Julie, at one point, I don't know if it was an email or something that you wrote on the blog, but you were talking about the media pecking order, and that was something that I noticed at the California um, convention was, you know, you have like your uh, your TV and you have your your print media and they're sort of a certain um, they get a certain level of respect and then there are the bloggers who are not as respected and then you know there's us at the bottom of the <laughs> the bomb <rock> bloggers <laughs> that the bloggers even dissed, you know, so um, <laughs> it was kind of an interesting experience. But and and I think it was upsetting to a couple of of the Momocrats that you know why are these people being so rude about, you know, the, the fact that we're here, because in, in the press room, one of the other bloggers said something to one of the Momocrats, like, oh, how many readers do you have? You have, like, two, uh, you know, and... and oh, how uh, tacky. Yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, they were like, what are you talking about? You know, we have thousands of readers, actually, very dedicated <laughs> readers. Um, and so it was, we were a little taken aback by that, but you know what? I say, screw that. Uh, well, we earned our way in, uh, we should have reported <laughs> the way we see it, and you know, I think it's going to be great, and I think hopefully we'll play a part in inspiring more women not to just let it drop after this, to continue to participate, you know, in whether it's writing checks or walking precincts or blogging about it or doing whatever they can do, because I think it's it's so important for us because we're mothers and because we're handing over this world to our children that we have to be out in the front and we have to be able to say um, what we think the the right path is um, because we we owe it to our kids and we owe it to ourselves to do that. So I'm hoping that we can kind of take a role in inspiring other women to get involved and to stay involved. So And, and I think you're right. I think it does because <clears throat> one of the young women I interviewed, she said, you know, I really, I didn't think that much about politics until my mom ran for county clerk. And then I just never thought about being in politics or having anything to do with politics. And she said, and I guess it really kind of was a girl thing. She said, but then I saw all these women get involved in my mom's campaign, and I suddenly started thinking, wait a minute, politics is about me. Mm-hmm. And she And she said she was 18 at the time, and she's 24 now. And she said, it was just watching all these women be involved. And she said, it just said to me, I need to be involved too. And a lot of women said that. They said, just seeing women get involved told me politics was for girls. Mm-hmm. 
I think you're right, Julie. I think you're so right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just saying I think think you're absolutely right. You know, we do do have the capacity. I can't say that we are motivators, but I think we have the capacity Mm -hmm. to to be the role models. Uh, What I was going to say about role models is politics to me always seemed – uh, I don't know, more removed. It was something that, you know, really wasn't, it was something that was hard to get into and it was all about who you knew and and things like that. And, you know, even when I went to law school, it never really even occurred to me to try to actively get involved in politics. You know, I'm sort of a political junkie. I mean, I think I'm the only person I know who gets, well, probably not now, now that I know all the momocrats, who would actually get, you know, really excited when there was, you know, Supreme Court justice in the same restaurant or, yeah, <laughs> you know when I when the one time I met Tim Russert, <laughs> I was really excited about that. But you know most people don't get excited about stuff like that. But um, you know after September 11th too, you know this was before I had children. I even started to wonder. I'm like, do I want to bring children into this world? And that's when it sort of clicked for me. You know we really need to change the world. And I think that you know when you see all of these these women getting involved in politics and women who are mothers and who admit that they're mothers and don't just pretend that, you know, the the kids are off in a back room with the nanny somewhere. You know, um, actual moms who are involved in in child-rearing becoming involved in in politics, that is something that is so empowering to me. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do for the momocrats and include all the momocrat readers? What got you interested and involved in politics and the process? Because I, I, I'm just so interested hearing everybody's what motivated each, you know, each person telling their, her story. That's just so interesting. I think you're right because I think everyone has a different story. So it's, it's interesting. And, uh, let me ask this to the, uh, to the rest of you who went to conventions. Were there mothers with children at your convention? There were a lot of mothers with children at our convention. Oh, that's interesting. There weren't, I don't remember seeing any children, say, under the age of 14. And I was looking because I, um, as I mentioned in my post about it, it was actually my son's birthday. The first night of the convention was my son's birthday. He was turning four. And it was very hard for me to skip yeah, town. Yeah, I remember you writing day. that. <laughs> we had, we had an, an early party for him the day before, but still, you know, but it was just so important to me. I felt like, you know, what I was what I was doing by going to the convention was representing the votes of the people in in my um, in my ward, and you know, really making sure, you know, I was going there to see how the process went and and to hold it accountable, really, as much as any one woman can, you know. And But, you know, that I, so I felt justified in, in leaving my son on his birthday because even though I felt guilty about it because he was, you know, I feel like I'm working for his future and this is why I'm involved in politics. But, but um, you know, I was looking to see if there were any children there because I really would have liked to have been able to bring him because he's pretty well behaved for his age. <laughs> he he'll sit through some pretty amazingly long speeches, but uh, but you know, I I didn't think that it would be permitted, and I didn't think that people would think it was appropriate. And I I think I was right in making that assessment because there there weren't any children there. But I really wish there had been because I think it's important 
to get kids involved in the political process at an early age, not to indoctrinate them, you know, with your own beliefs, but to to have them see you being passionately involved and have them see how the process works and see that ordinary people can get involved in the political process and they can make a difference. I think it's hugely important to teach our children that. And uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see conventions be, become more kid-friendly, at least here in Missouri. Um, you know, I mean, I understand there's a lot of really important business, grown-up business that needs to happen at these things, but but I think, you know, more women would be involved if they could bring their kids. And I think, you know, more kids would wind up being involved as adults if they saw their parents' um, involvement at an early age and understood that, that this is sort of a duty that we all have. I mean, that, that government isn't a separate energy, entity here in the United States. We own our government. It's beholden to us. And it's our responsibility to get up and do something about it if, it's, if our government does things we don't agree with, you know. Yeah. Oh, I think I think you're right. And you know what? I wish there had been kids at your convention because the presence of the children, and there were a lot of children. I mean, I'm talking babies, toddlers, elementary school age, junior high, high school. There were a t- It was a huge range, and there were quite a few. I was actually surprised. There were so many children. But you know what it did? It forced the issue to the attention of everybody. And... What happened at the Women's Caucus is um, quite a few women's Democrat groups from around the state said, you know what, we need to reach out to the mothers. You know, all we have are older women whose kids are in high school or gone off to college, Mm -hmm. and we've been wondering why young women don't participate, and it's because we all of a sudden remembered, oh, yeah, that's right, it's hard to do with kids. And I said, I said, here's a suggestion. Why don't you let moms come with their children and have child care? And they were like, Hey, we could do that. Yeah. Hey, did did anybody remember reading anything about child care at the national convention? No, I was going to ask no, that question when we go to the press walkthrough next week. Yeah, you <laughs> should definitely bring that up. There, there would be yeah. child care or if children would be allowed on the convention floor. Because um, that's something, yeah, that's something that's important, really. And, and, yeah, if I could get a photo of a breastfeeding, you know, delegate on oh. the floor, that would be fab- fabulous. That would be fantastic. Well, that would be the money shot. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, um, at the California Convention, children were allowed in, and actually there were quite a few children who came for Bill Clinton's speech, um, I noticed, and they were all kind of running around in the hallways. And um, Donna, one of our momocrats, she brought her daughter, who's I think 12 or 13. Um, they drove up from Southern California, and she took the day off of school and was able to then do a report about you know what she learned at the convention at school on Monday. And... Um, her daughter was like a huge hit at the at the convention because she got one of the uh, we we were each given these signs to hold up when Nancy Pelosi spoke and um, so she took hers around and she asked to if she could meet superdelegates and she got signatures of superdelegates from all over the state and oh I remember Donna having a picture of that yeah, yeah and so it was a really neat thing and they were all just you know really thrilled that they were you know giving their autographs for one thing to this kid <laughs> you know. And, um, and she was very well received. I think she even got, um, I think she was even interviewed on NPR um, about you know being a kid at the convention. 
and then Sheila brought her son for the last day also. I wanted my son to come, and I asked him if he would come with me just to this, to, you know, just to hear Bill Clinton speak. And he said to me, well, is Hillary going to be there? And I said, no, it's her husband. And he said, well, I don't want to hear him. And so, and I said, well, he, he was the president, you know. And he goes, yeah, but he's not Hillary, you know. So he's a diehard Hillary fan, you know. That is so cute. Um, so he passed, you know, he passed on that opportunity. But hopefully I can get him a little more enthusiastic next time around. But he went to see Obama, though, right? He did go to see Obama. Yeah. 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 And he was very excited that Obama shook his hand, and he, you know, waved his hand in front of me, in front of my face, going, look, he shook my hand, and so I could see it or something. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I have a, a picture of him that, unfortunately, a photographer took, so I can't post it online. It's uh, copyrighted, and um, of him sitting at the feet of Obama, which I think I might have shared with some of you on uh, by email. But, um, yeah, so he's he's been around <laughs> a little bit. But the, but the, I think at the California convention they made a big point of saying that the Democratic Party is the family-friendly party, um, and they made it very clear that kids were um, were welcome to come to the convention to to come to various parts of it. And so I did see a number of children there of all ages, uh, but most of them I saw during uh, Bill Clinton's speech, and they were generally children of the delegates or of the you know in our case the press people who were there. That makes well, I'll be sure yeah, to watch for that on Saturday in Virginia's convention. I'll be sure to watch for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's what, that's see that's what happens, or maybe even contact them in advance, Stephanie. And well, ask. I was just thinking about that because I just went online. I was looking for the um, Virginia Democratic Party's communications director's email, and I'm like, you know what, I think I'll email and ask her about that <laughs> because it is an important issue if this is going to be the family-friendly party then yeah. uh, that's something they need to think about, especially if they want women involved in politics. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if they want women's money. Right. Which, you know, which, by the way, the treasurer of the Texas Democratic Party said, honestly, despite conventional wisdom, the Texas Democratic women are always the first to pony up the dough. And I, I thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Well, I'm yeah, that is. Yeah, I think isn't isn't it that there's some statistic like that women control something like 85% of the household budget. So yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why all the marketers are always coming to us and asking us uh-huh. to blog about their product because they know that women read our blogs and um so I, I think that you know they do need to reach out to women if they want to for for fundraising purposes if nothing else but also just to balance out the party and to get new people involved in in the process. I think too that once women become involved, they they seem to be very passionate. You know, I mean, because because especially mothers, once it becomes, once you have that realization that being involved in politics is a way to make a better future for your child, I think it's very hard to forget that. Once that thought is in your head, you know, I I know a lot of women say, you know, I'm too busy taking care of my kids to pay attention to politics. But when politics becomes a way of taking care of your kids mm-hmm. and you begin to see it, you have that paradigm shift and you begin to see it that way, I think, I think you know, a lot of women become very, very passionate and very as involved as they can be. But, of course, having children, especially small children, does make it more difficult for many women to go to campaign events. And I think 
that's why that's why I think it's so excellent that in Texas and California they were allowing children at the events. I mean, it's it's really interesting to me. Like I said, I don't I didn't see a single baby. Maybe there was one and it was hidden away somewhere. <laughs> but I was looking, and you know, when I was at the Missouri convention, it was a very different atmosphere. You know, it was very. I mean, we were doing some some pretty hard work, and the the votes uh, for national level delegate positions took a very long time and um there wasn't much food and <laughs> I think I think maybe kids would have had a hard time sitting through all that. But but, you know, I think there's a lot that the party can do to make these events more accessible to women, especially working class women mm-hmm. and single mothers who may not have another option but to bring their children to an event like this. Mm-hmm. I mean not only not only will it help those women, but as I said before, I think it it inspires a whole new generation of kids. And if you're really thinking about the long-term health of the party, and if you really want to present yourself as the party that's for families, working families and their interests, I think, you know, making events family-friendly like that, it, it's a really important step. And I hope that more conventions follow the example of California and Texas. Great. Well, I think we're probably, we probably ought to wrap up. Uh, I want to thank you all for for being such excellent guests and for providing such wonderful insights. And um, it's, it's, it's been an honor for me to be uh, blogging alongside all of you. And I know, Jaylith, I think you're the only one that I've actually met face-to-face, but I'm really looking forward to meeting Julie and Stephanie um, at BlogHer, hopefully, and uh, if not before then, and definitely at the convention. So thank you. (laughs) Thank thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you. Thank Thank you. Okay, well, I guess we should just, we can sign off now. And I just want to remind our listeners to read our blog every day at www.mamacrats.com. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.